Ooh. That's loud. Uh, hey, friends. Uh, if you have not had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm Sammy. I'm the campus minister. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. And so tonight, we're kind of coming to one of those passages where it might um, land a certain way. And I always want to preface this by saying anything that um, you hear preached or taught in up that you want to talk about, uh, I and the staff are available to you. So I just want to kind of give that disclaimer uh, before we get into it. We're looking at the, the famous marriage passage from Ephesians 5. And what I want to do is read verse 21 to 33. So let me jump in and uh, let's read our text together tonight. Um, or I'll read it for us. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Uh, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let me pray for us, and we're just going to jump right in. So, let's pray first. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. We thank you that you meet us where we are in all of our doubts and questions and struggles and um, places where we just feel a little bit maybe discouraged or feeling a little cynical or skeptical. We thank you that that's not lost in you, that you really do know us and love us, and you really do meet us where we are, not where we pretend to be or even want to be sometimes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in that way tonight as you alone can do. Lord, I pray that you would guide us as we come to think about Christian marriage, um, that you would be the one who does your good work in us, that we might learn to think your thoughts after you, that we might be clear in what it is your heart is toward your people, and that we might be clear always on the gospel, the good news of your son Jesus, who is the great bridegroom, who alone loves us with the perfect love. May we know and feel and believe and rest in that love tonight, I pray. I need that help myself, and I pray that for myself and for my friends. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, When it comes to marriage, I think, the way that I think about it is often, this isn't perfect, but we often can fall into one of two camps. On the one hand, I think we could call some of us hopeless romantics, where whether it was Disney or whatever it was, where we just really have this fantastical view of what marriage is and does and what it's going to be like. And on the other hand, others of us, maybe especially if we had parents who went through a divorce or for whatever reasons, uh, could be called disillusioned skeptics. Where we're like, "Mm, marriage seems hard and weird. Do we really believe in love? Uh, I think about this in two different shows. One is the fact that The Bachelor is still a thing, where it's like on the one hand, we long for that 
to find the one and yet make a game out of it. On the other hand, Love is Blind, if you're a Love is Blind fan, <laughs> I read a tweet that basically said, let's try, uh, do you, are you telling me it's possible that you could fall in love with someone not for their looks? Let's try it out. Um, so whatever it is that we think, some of us can be hopeless romantics, some of us can be disillusioned skeptics. And all I want to do from Ephesians 5 tonight is, is three things. I want to talk to you about uh, why marriage is harder, actually, why marriage is better than you think, why marriage is harder than you think, and the secret to a good marriage. Now, I realize most of you maybe aren't close to marriage. That's okay. This is one you just stick in your back pocket. Um, I guess if you have leggings, that doesn't work as well, but you know what I'm saying. Stick somewhere. Just hold on to. But I want to talk about it together from Ephesians 5. So why marriage is better than you think, why it's harder than you think, and the secret to a good marriage. Let's just first start with why marriage is better than you think, better than we think. And this is the way I want to say it. When you think about what marriage is, it really is these three loves that we long for wrapped into one relationship. It is what we could call a side-by-side love, a friendship, of, of journeying together in the way that C.S. Lewis would talk about it toward a shared horizon. Uh, and Paul's idea of, uh, and, and Christian idea of marriage, we are journeying together in life uh, to our, at the end all be all, the great marriage supper of the Lamb where we will be with Jesus and be made fully and finally like him. It's a side-by-side love. We long for this love of companionship. But two, it's a face-to-face love. It's a love of desire and sharing and intimacy, of being known of sharing hearts together, um, of coming together quite literally in intimate ways. It's a side-by-side love. It's a face-to-face love, but it's also what we call a never-going-anywhere, never-stopping, never-giving-up kind of covenant love where there is a promise that brings security that we long for, that brings this idea of I will be here with you. We sat just married a couple on Saturday and every time we do the vows, I love it because the, they're incredible promises for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse. Um, I am going to be here for you. I promise to be here for you. Uh, I love there, there's a guy, Lewis Smeads, who talks about marriage and the complicated that part in particular, the covenant aspect. Here's how he said it. He says, when I married my wife, I had hardly a smidgen of sense for what I was getting into with her. How can I know how much she would change over 25 years? How can I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were wed, and each of the five has been me. And what he's tapping into is that idea of when God calls his great name to Moses, Yahweh, Louis Meads likes to translate it as, I am he who will be there for you. And that's part of the promise of marriage is you're saying, I am he, I am she who will be there for you. So there's something happening beautifully within the marriage, but oftentimes it's not the way that we think about love. It's not the way that we think about how love should work. That's why C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, people get from books the idea that if you've married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love forever. As a result, when they find they are not, they think this proves they have made a mistake and are entitled to a change, not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out of the new love just as it went out of the old one. In this department of life, as in every other, thrills come at the beginning and do not last. And Lewis has this great analogy where he talks about trains, which is a little bit lost in our culture, unless we're a big train guy or gal growing up. But he talks about how that, uh, what we could call that, that draw, that infatuation at first, that is a huge part of getting engaged and getting married. He, he describes it as like the fire and the engine, but the marriage itself is the tracks along which the train runs. 
And you need both, but we need the track. That's why Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there was a moment when he was imprisoned by Nazi Germany. His uh, niece was getting married and badly wished that he could do the marriage, but the wedding, but obviously he couldn't. He was in jail, but he wrote her this letter. And in this letter, there's a line that I've always loved where he says, from this day forward, it is not that love will keep your marriage, but it is that it is the marriage will keep your love. It is that the marriage will keep your love. Why marriage is better than we think, but then two, why it's harder than we think. And this is where we, we just get into the awkward section about submission, about sacrificial loving. Uh, there are words that we have a hard time embracing. And I want to try to carefully, I'm not going to be able to say everything perfectly, but I want to do my best. Uh, first, start with that word to wives, a, a hard word. But if you notice verse 21, which is why I included it, every Christian is actually called to a mutual submission. In other words, submission isn't just a word for wives. Uh, Clay, Clay was recently telling me a story, I told him I was going to use this, where he was describing a, a friend at Auburn, and I might not tell this perfectly, but I'm going to try, because I really loved it. And he was on a first date with a young lady, I think they were in RUF, maybe not, doesn't matter. And they're driving through, kind of driving to their date, and all of a sudden the young man, misguided, tells the young woman, hold my hand. <laughs> and she says, um... No, no, not, no, I'm not comfortable with that. They keep driving. He says again, hold my hand. And she again, very courageously says, no, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And then finally, as Clay told it, he just goes, submit. <laughs> so that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that's not what Paul has in mind here. He's very clear that this is between husband and wife, first of all. Second of all, that's not what he's encouraging either wives or husbands to do. Um, I like the way Daryl Johnson, he's a pastor, scholar, he has a, a commentary on Ephesians, and I was just reading this, preparing for this, and I like the way he talks about it, so here's how I'm going to try it. He says it like this, part of, he says this, this section of Ephesians, Paul is moving from this, you know, what Christ has done for us in his love, and he's moving uh, more and more narrowly in his application of what it looks like to walk in love. But one of the things he makes very clear in Ephesians 5 is that the way that we normally think about relationship and authority, Jesus fundamentally changes. Meaning, Jesus is the rightful king of all. And yet Jesus called himself the servant to all. He said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give himself as a ransom for many. The way that Daryl Johnson says it is, we move, therefore, in the Christian life from relationally thinking about ruling over people to now coming to stand under them, ready to serve. He says this is the case with husbands and wives, and wives and husbands, and children and parents, and parents and children, he talks about, you know, uh, employees and bosses and bosses and employees. This is the, the fundamental change that we move from, I'm ready to rule you, to I'm ready to serve you in the ways that God has called me. Here's the way he says it. He says, so when the spirit of the son of man comes and fills us, we find ourselves moving from over to under. Wives standing under their husbands and husbands standing under their wives. Children, children standing under their parents and parents standing under their children. In the kingdom of God, when the spirit of the great king comes, a revolution takes place. We live in mutual submission. All have equal dignity. All have equal value. Different roles, yes. Different responsibilities, yes. But all are equal before Christ, and all are in submission 
to Christ. So what I want to try to do is redeem this word, submission. The other way we could translate it is to subject yourself, because I do think it's so badly misused that we miss the warmth of it, or the invitation of it, that all of us are doing that with Jesus. And then wives and husbands do that with Jesus first, and then with one another with different roles to play. But if I can redeem it, it's a, it's a giving of yourself, an entrusting of yourself, and an abandoning of yourself to the love and care of another. I think a, a lot about uh, Jennifer Lawrence's first breakout movie. It was called Winner's Bone. It's a great movie. Um, she was nominated for this role. She was like 20 at the time. But in this movie, you're watching her in Appalachian country in West Virginia, and all of the men in her family, her father, uncles, every single man is just living recklessly and living carelessly. And there's this crisis that happens, and she steps up to try to take care of things and love as she should because uh, no one else is doing it. But one of the things I think the film asks is you can almost hear her, and this is what the performance was so moving, you can hear her say, is there any man who will step up in love in this way and care for me? Who will step up in authoritative love? And I think that's more the idea of what Paul is driving at in beauty and roles of marriage. But then there's a hard word to husbands. To love and to give yourself as Christ has loved the church. It's interesting the way he does it. There are five incredibly active verbs and one incredibly difficult image. The five active verbs are to love, to give, to sanctify, to cleanse, to present with this image, with all of the tenderness with which you care for your own body, all the tenderness with which you protect your own body. I think we miss this tension in the church. Um, I recently, there's a tweet that went viral that said this. It's a guy who's big, I would say, hyper-masculinity is what the church needs guy. And he had this tweet that basically said, the church is afraid to speak on the big three, making money, having sex, and being physically fit. It's like, <laughs> really? Like, is that what the church is missing? Because I think there's a way of pursuing masculinity that just has no room for Jesus. And what Jesus cares about. And the tenderness of Jesus. And what the church needs is men who love Jesus. And who are unashamed of their love for Jesus. Uh, There's a guy, Evan Welcher, who's remarried now because his first wife died of cancer. And he wrote a book called Resplendent Bride talking about what serving and leading and being the head of his household looked like in that season. Here's what he said. It's in your handout. He said, for me, being the head of my family looked like laundry and dishes and cooking and preparing her feeding tube and going to the pharmacy and bathing her and carrying her and sitting beside her on the floor of the bathroom next to the toilet because the nausea would not go away. We'd weep together. Headship. It's opening the door for her and holding her hand as you walk through endless hospital corridors. It's cleaning the house because company is coming and she likes it a certain way. It's keeping her water ice cold because it numbs her mouth sores. Headship isn't about your wife serving you. It's about the husband serving his wife as Christ served the church. In the final analysis, marriage is a mirror of Christ and the church. We Christians are helpless, and yet Christ stays by our side. So why it's better than we think, why it's harder than we think, 
But then just lastly and quickly, the secret of a good marriage, because how, how do you begin to serve and love in that way? How do you begin to do that? And I just want to say it like this. You, you can only do it remembering two things, that Jesus is actually the pattern for wives and husbands. Uh, wives submit to husbands even as Jesus submitted himself and trusted himself to the Father's care and leadership. And husbands love wives even as Jesus loved the church, giving himself, laying down his life, bearing the shame of the cross itself. In other words, marriage is called to reflect the gospel. That's Paul's grand point of Ephesians 5, that that's the whole point, is it says something beautiful about the way Jesus has loved us. I always think about uh, the reflection pool at TQ, and the idea of a reflection pool, I was, it was new to me just probably 10 years ago where I learned that reflection pools were built not so you could get drunk and go swim in it. <laughs> That's one purpose. But they were built to reflect the grandeur of the Thomas Cooper building. And in a way, that's what Paul's saying marriage is like, is it's not the reality of the way Jesus has loved you and me, but it's a beautiful reflection of it to say to the world, we have found someone worthy of our submission. It's Jesus. We have found someone who loves us more than he loves himself. It's Jesus. And that is what marriage is invited to beautifully reflect. But then not just Jesus is the pattern, but also Jesus is the power. And here's the way I want to say it, is there is no better side-by-side love than Jesus. He's the friend who sticks closer than the brother. He's the only one who loves us with a perfect love that casts out fear, who says, even, even as bad as things get, even as much shame as you feel, I'm going nowhere because I love you. And there's no better face-to-face love than Jesus. He both satisfies us completely, and yet he sanctifies us so patiently. This is where Jerry Maguire is an old film now, but if the famous line from Jerry Maguire is, is Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zellweger and says, you complete me. It's an incredible film, but, but I'm like, that section is wrong. You don't complete me. Well, you don't. My, my, my wife are here. Alyssa doesn't complete me. We complement one another, I hope. But another way to say it is it's not marriage isn't half a person plus half a person equals one, but one whole person plus one whole person equals one. And until Jesus is making us whole, until Jesus is the one we're looking to first and foremost, we're not ready. And which also means singleness isn't a curse because marriage isn't the goal because Jesus is enough for us and he may call us into the be- this beautiful thing called marriage and he may not, but because he is enough and he's the one we're looking to, either way, we're going to be okay. But there's no one more committed to us than Jesus. He's taken vows and he takes them so seriously that he staked his very life on them. I'll close with this. There's a movie uh, called A Marriage Story that came out just a few years ago with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And there's a scene in the movie as they are breaking up, separated, going through a divorce, where Adam Driver is in a bar. He's with some friends after a play. He's a playwright. And he starts singing this song called Being Alive. And here's how he says it. I'll close with this. He says, somebody hurt me too deep. Somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive, being alive. Somebody need me too much. Somebody know me too well. Somebody pull me up short and put me through hell and give me support for being alive, being alive. 
make me alive, make me confused, mock me with praise, let me be used, vary my days, but alone is alone, not alive. Somebody crowd me with love, somebody force me to care, somebody let me come through, I'll always be there as frightened as you to help us survive, being alive, being alive, being alive. And this is what I think Paul has for us. Is it's not so much that, as it is we are entrusting ourselves to the one who has made us alive together with him. And the invitation of marriage and the blessing of marriage is his promise to bless and keep our life together. And we pray for us. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. We thank you that you invite us to wrestle with you and all of these things. And Lord, I pray that you would that by your spirit that you would wrestle with us in the ways that we need when we come to think about ourselves, think about our love lives, as even though we might feel really far from marriage, that you would help us to think um, what life looks like when we are looking to you as the only one who knows us and loves us and satisfies us and keeps us, and that you would keep pushing us, keep inviting us, keep growing us in your grace, and that you would keep teaching us how to do relationship with one another. And as you have loved us, we would begin to learn what it means to love one another. We ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song with us.